Welcome to episode 10 of 40 Stories. This show is about capturing the experience of midlife at the pivotal age of 40. This show explores what we share as a generation and how our upbringing and life experience can shape us as individuals. If you know an interesting 40-year-old in the Portland, Oregon area who might like to come on the show, get in touch. Lou at 40storiespodcast.com, L-O-U at 40storiespodcast.com. My guest today is the very funny Jessa Reed, teen mom turned meth addict turned comedian. Jessa tells raw and candid stories about her past and her new life as a homeschooling housewife trying to blend in with the normal people. You can see Jessa this February on Comedy Central's This Is Not Happening. Thank you, Ecology for Keyboards, for the music. You can find Ecology for Keyboards on SoundCloud and Bandcamp. Thank you, Rebecca, for the introduction to Jessa. And thank you for listening. After my very long hiatus, I have been running a farm an hour from home seven days a week for the past eight months. And unfortunately, there was no time for podcasting. But I'm happy to get back to it, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jessa Reed. On my 40th birthday, I rented a hotel room in Philadelphia and spent the night with the flu. Party! Yeah, I never celebrate. I celebrated my third, 30th birthday, and then other than that, I never celebrate. I mean, we do like a family dinner or whatever, but I never make a big deal out of it. And I planned an entire weekend with multiple celebrations and had the flu through the whole thing. What a bummer. Yeah. Like, so family, friends come to town for it? That kind of thing? Um, no. Well, my uh, parents were, they go to Florida for the winter, lucky. Mm-hmm. And uh, they came back. And I did do the family dinner while sick. But um, my husband and I just did a little staycation. We live about an hour outside of Philly. So we got a real nice hotel in Philly and dinner reservations, and I just laid in bed and played on my phone like any other day. <laughs> I'm sorry. So I wanted, well, I wanted to not forget it. Like I wanted it to be like a celebration that I didn't forget. So I won't forget that. That's true. Yeah. You're going to remember Definitely that memorable. shitty birthday forever. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Um, so Jessa, you are a comedian. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like to start with people's childhood and how they were raised, and, and we're going to find out how you how you landed that crazy gig okay? Um, by talking about your parents, where you grew up, All know, right, that kind of stuff. I was born in Delaware. Uh, my father was from Delaware. And when they my parents split when I was two, my mom moved to Portland. So I spent my childhood and, well, my adulthood also moving back and forth between Portland and Delaware. And uh, my mom was a math addict, and um, I spent most of my childhood with her. Uh, When I was 16, I got married and had a baby, and um, that marriage was a mess. And then I started doing stand-up on accident when I was 21. I uh, was like a compulsive liar. This is kind of my thing in my youth and I lied to some friends at work because I was being funny at a dinner and I was like, oh, yeah, I do stand up. Well, cause like I would go to stand up, like I would go to open mics and watch. So that's the kind of liar I was. So they showed up to support me one night. So I had to get on stage and do stand up. So I just got wasty pants and got up there and then ended up being really good at it. 
And so... Like from the get-go, from the first yeah. time. Awesome. Which you, I was blackout you, drunk, so who knows? Oh, wow. Were you <laughs> off the cuff making things up? Um, I had like written some things down. I think I had like warning. This is the 90s, so it's not like... I think people said at work, like, we're going to come support you tonight. So I had like written some things down, but I, I don't remember it at all. And so I was trying to get on the list before everybody showed up. And I was trying to seem like I was in with the comedians already. So when they were like, wow, we see you here all the time. We didn't know you do stand up. I was like, shh. shh. And so um, afterwards, a guy came up and said, uh, we're doing this comedy competition in Kelso. And we need like the token female. This is 90s. They didn't even try to hide the sexism. <laughs> and so I went up my second. And this is five years into this train wreck of a marriage that I really wanted out of. And... Uh, my second time on stage was the preliminaries. I made it through, and then I did a couple open mics, and then I made it to the semifinals, and then I did the, I won. And so on the way home from winning this, which included, and my whole life I wanted to be on stage. I thought I was gonna be an actress. I didn't think I could do stand-up. I was obsessed with stand-up my whole life, but I didn't, would have never in a million years thought it was something I was capable of. And so on the way home, that husband, first husband, uh, was like, oh, this is cute and everything, but no wife of mine is going to be a stand-up comedian. And wow. I was like, deal. Uh, you want the cat? <laughs> and that was that. Okay, hold on. I want to take it back just a little bit. So <laughs> Cliff notes, there's a little bit there. I yeah. love it. You're doing a, a fantastic job, Cliff, note, cliff noting your life. Um, so you're, you're, what did your dad do? What did you say? What did he do? Um, he was, uh, he was a highly functioning alcoholic. Mm -hmm. I don't even like to say he was an alcoholic because our experience with him as a father was not like that of any, you know, he was a great dad. Mm -hmm. Um, but he partied quite a bit also. And, uh, he got sober when I was like 15, but so he lived in Delaware and then both of my parents remarried when I was eight and started new families. Mm -hmm. So I have three sisters and they are eight, nine, and 10 years younger than me. And they're all from? One's in Portland, which is my mom Your and moms. stepdads. Uh -huh. And then two are in Delaware, which is my dad and stepmoms. And those are, so you don't have any siblings from your, your, mm -mm. your biological? No, uh -uh, no, I'm the only product of that <laughs> cursed union. That one didn't last very long. I think they were only together like five years. But what kind of work did your father do? Uh, at the time, he was a heavy equipment operator, like construction. Uh -huh. When I got older, he was a, like a superintendent something a little bit higher than that. Uh -huh. And your mom was a drug, drug, addict, drug addict for yeah. your whole childhood. IV uh, drug addict till um, when my daughter was born when I was 17. She got clean right around then. And we're very close now. She lives with me actually now. But, oh, wow. um, and she's clean still. Yeah. Uh -huh. This has been like 20 something years. Uh, but not. We were not. I had a lot of stuff to work out about her. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, okay, so you um, so you essentially grew up as an only child for for the majority yeah. for the majority of yeah. your childhood. And um, were you the kind of kid that was trying to make people laugh all the time? Uh, hardcore attention seeker mm -hmm. and very manipulative. And I think um, just it came from my parents were very young. They were in their early 20s when they had me. And then, like I said, they were very into the party. So I think I was just kind of getting lost in the mix. And um, I was already eccentric. 
then so yeah i like i memorized bill cosby himself when i was like <laughs> eight or nine and could do it verbatim that's awesome yeah and so like none of this was just upset when kids watched from as young as i can remember i never watched cartoons i watched sitcoms i'd memorized like family ties like all of the sitcoms and then when comedy central came out i think i was like 12 mm-hmm. and i just watched it obsessively so there was always, and yes, and like sketch, sketch comedy stuff I got into. And I really just, if you met me from the age of six till um, I got married, I would tell you, like, I'm going to be famous one day. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be on stage. So I just never would have suspected that I would be capable of doing comedy until I did it. Stand up. Okay, so you got you your first you got out of your first marriage when, pretty much right after you started comedy. Mm-hmm. I think that's interesting too because it seems like you sort of found yourself and then it was very obvious that you didn't belong in that thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, the marriage was a mess. He cheated on me all the time. I was drama like I didn't have like a great example of what relationships. You know, it's just a train wreck. And so um, I had left when I was twenty and moved to Delaware with our daughter and had just kind of gotten my identity back and was doing my own thing. And then he came out to visit and then was like, oh, I had lost the weight. This was like a big thing as I was fat the whole time. We were married and that was a problem. And so um, we got back together because he wanted to get back together. And then it was like pet cemetery. Like I wanted out really bad and I was just waiting for him to do something douchey enough for me to be justified in leaving. So when he said the thing about stand-up, I was like, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> So then I moved into my parents' basement and I did stand up. I was like uh, promiscuous and had a car, so all of the um, all of the headliner guys, yeah. So they enjoyed my company. So I got quite a bit of work. Not saying that's the only reason I got work, but like just having a car and being willing to drive is a, will yeah. get you quite a bit of work as an opener. And so I was on the road. It just all went really fast. I was on the road probably three weeks out of the month. And um, my daughter was staying with my ex-husband's sister while I was on the road. And then I was, I partied quite a bit. I drank a lot. Someone had, I had gotten pulled over on the way to another gig at like nine in the morning and almost got a DUI because I was still drunk from the night before. So somebody told me if you do a line of Coke, you will sober up before you go to bed. And so uh, that seemed sustainable. So I uh, was in Montana. I thought I did a line of Coke and I did a line of meth. And then I just got addicted to meth that night. After the first time. Yep. Mm -hmm. After like my whole life, of course, I was super against meth because my mom. Um, And then I quit comedy. I think I did comedy for about two weeks after that. Quit comedy so I could pursue meth full time. Good plan. No, that's a sweet plan. No, it seemed like, I mean, it probably paid about the same as comedy, but. (laughs) I usually ask people if their parents um, uh, instilled a big drive to succeed, but I feel like I can skip that question with you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, my parents are fantastic now, uh, but yeah, I think there was just a lot going on when I was little. And I kind of think that it was part of my uh, destiny was to kind of be on my own in my own head when I was young Mm -hmm. so that I could become who I am now. But yeah, no, there wasn't a lot of 
success talk. <laughs> so all of your motivation is comes from within. Yeah. And so you, you got addicted to meth when you're, this is like your 25 Two. 2022. Wow. Yeah. And so that lasted until? Uh, six years. Uh-huh. It was the summer and um, summer of 99, I think. And I got clean uh, January of 2005. So I didn't want to drag my daughter through what I had been through. Mm-hmm. And so I asked my husband's sister to adopt her. Ex-husband's sister. And, um, but I didn't admit that I was on drugs. I just did this big, I I was a very dishonest person before drugs. I did always feel like I wasn't mom material. You know, I judged myself against other moms and I just don't think I learned how to bond or anything else, obviously, from my childhood. So I left her in August of 99 and I just, just disappeared. So for long stretches of time, my parents would think I was dead. And uh, my mom lived in Portland, so I would break into her house every once in a while and steal stuff, and at least that let her know I was alive. Mm -hmm. Were you living here in Portland? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I got addicted to the thing happened in Montana, but I was already in like the after hours scene here. And so it wasn't, when I got back here, not difficult to figure out who had the meth at the speakeasy. (laughs) So I did that for six years. And then I just kind of, just kind of snapped out of it. Just kind of on your own. It ran its course. Yeah. Yeah. I never tried to get clean. I never thought I would get clean. I thought it made me a genius and it was the thing I'd been looking for my entire life. And I, all the crazy dark, depraved things that happened. Um, none of that shook me. And, um, I was made fun of the people that were constantly trying to get clean. And I still, when people ask me, you know, when their kids are addicted or something, they ask me like, what do I do? And I just say, just let them finish. (laughs) Cause I think the people that really struggle are the people that keep trying to get clean before they're ready. Uh And then they feel like it's impossible where when I decided to get clean, it was really like, meh, okay, I'm bored now. Mm -hmm. And that was it. Hmm. Do you uh, carry any of those, any of your meth lessons with you? Does it, did any of it uh, stick? Yeah. 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 It was actually, I don't think, um, I think my, my time on meth, I had a near death experience. I don't know how far down this rabbit hole you want to go. So I had a near death experience. As far as you want to go. In 2000, and um, that changed my entire life, everything in my entire life. And when I came back from that, now there's a thing called meth-induced schizophrenia. So I always tell people before I tell this story that it could just be meth-induced schizophrenia. It's up to you. But so I was in regular contact with what I believed to be aliens after that that taught me about the nature of consciousness and uh, kind of walked me through a ton of things in my life and how the world works. And I think definitely a healing came. I came to peace with my childhood and uh, became extremely objective and was able to put myself in other people's shoes and kind of see the big picture all the way around. And these are all things that are huge, a huge part of 
my perception of life now. And um, when I got clean, I was, it was almost like I went out and healed all the broken parts of me. And, you know, my childhood was dark. There was a lot of dark things that happened. I was really resentful and bitter about it before I went out and experienced what I experienced. And definitely going out and experiencing drug addiction gave me a forgiveness for my mom because I saw so much of her behavior as she hates me. Why would you bring me to this planet and then treat me like this? And then getting high and realizing, no, she was just super high. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's hard to deal with kids when you're tweaking. Um, So that definitely allowed me to close the book on that. And I just, I don't want to say it's the, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. I mean, Mm -hmm. I did lose six years of my 20s, but I think you're kind of supposed to flail your way through your 20s anyway. So, um, and I got clean when I was 27 and it took me years to get my daughter back. But the mother that I'm able to be to her, when she's an adult now, but the mother I was able to be to her, I was never going to be able to be that for her until I went out and kind of, so I went out and found myself. That's not the mo- That's not the experience that anyone else had on meth. <laughs> I can tell you that mm-hmm. they all came out way, uh, way more damaged than they went in. Um, so I just think I was supposed to take a weird path, but yeah, I I carry a lot of it with me. I thought about writing a book that says everything I ever needed to know. <clears throat> I learned on meth, but. <laughs> I don't want to sell it, you know? (laughs) Um, I think, but I think it's interesting. We don't ever talk about, I I think as a society, people like to ignore the fact that people do drugs because you're getting something useful out of it for the most part. And there are a lot of really incredible lessons that come from drugs. Mm -hmm. Yes, they will ruin your life if you do too many of them. And certainly a drug like meth will ruin your life faster than a lot of other ones. But it's fun to talk about, you know, the, yeah. the good shit, right? Yeah. Like you wouldn't have done it otherwise. I think going outside, you know, I had that feeling as a child that like I had been dropped off on a foreign planet. Mm-hmm. And I, I relate so much to so much of what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people do. And I, <laughs> yeah. and I think being able to leave society and kind of be in this underground kind of criminal element where we didn't follow the rules of time. You slept when you felt like it. You ate when you felt like it. You didn't have you didn't have to do any of the rules, the constraint. And I still very much live my life um, like that. I'm one foot in, one foot out. Stand up comedy is perfect for that. Yes, stand up comedy is perfect for it. Uh, My kids are homeschooled. Um, The cool thing about sowing your wild oats in your twenties to the extent that I did is that um, I don't think my husband and I are in for a midlife crisis. There's no identity crisis there. Like we did everything, you know what I mean? We're very settled. And as far as like appearance and stuff, I, my bo- I had my first kid when I was 17. I've been covered in stretch marks. Uh, I, you know, I've never, the only pressure that I feel around age is my career. And because there is this, and it's weird things when I was in my twenties and in comedy, all of the respected comedians were in their forties or that's at least what it felt like. And then there was this switch where now the in thing is these 22 year olds doing one liners, you know? And so there was, there's definitely like a pressure to make it. And then I'm, I'm constantly Googling how old, 
people are when I'm watching shows. And sometimes I'm like, okay, you're totally lying. And, <laughs> but like, and, and Googling how old when they started, you know, getting known. And I haven't found anyone, any women that were 40 when they broke out. And, um, I considered lying. I considered not being honest about it, which is insane. If you think about the things I talk about on stage, it's like, but I'm going to hide. And then finally I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, that'll be my thing. If I make it, I'm going to normalize aging. I'm going to normalize the one thing that happens to literally everybody. I'm going to make that normal. Um, and so, but that's the only, like, I don't think I would be paying attention to wrinkles or anything else, but I feel this pressure only because like, you're comparing yourself to other people in the, yeah. yeah. And I would ordinarily never do that. Like I lost my teeth when I was 24. I just rocked no teeth in my twenties. I think that's like body image boot camp. If you can like, cause, cause of, I've had weight. I've, I say struggled, you know, I've gained and lost weight. I've been 250 uh, multiple times in my life. And like, that's so accepted. It's so much more accepted in society than not having teeth. Like it is open season on the toothless. There's no like, you know, real women have <laughs> periodontal disease. You know what I mean? There's no, there's no <laughs> memes, no guys that are just strictly into chicks without teeth. You know what I mean? Like if you, so like wrinkles, I'm going to be worried about wrinkles. I've had dentures since I was in my twenties, but like, it's because, uh, this ridiculous thing in my head where, um, if I don't make it. And when I first got clean, I was like, well, it's too late for me in comedy cause I'm 27. So I'm too old to start now. Mm-hmm. So I now- spent my whole life saying I'm too old to do yep. this and I'm too old to yep. do that. And it like, how, how could you be too old for anything when you're 27? But I totally felt the same way. Yeah. You know, I went, I went to film school in London when I was 27 actually, or 26. And I was like, yeah, I'm like seven years older than everyone else here. You yeah. know, like, yeah, no, it's it absurd. And now I look so at 27 stupid. year olds, they're babies, Yeah, you know? And I think there's definitely a, a shift now between our generation and, you know, when I was in my twenties, people got married and had kids in their twenties. Mm-hmm. And then now it's just, you're a young wife or mother if you get married and have kids before you're 30. So there's definitely a shift there, but, um, that's the only area. And I've really, it's something I struggled with all through 39 and cause the rest of it, I think I'm fine. Like I'm, I've already reconciled, like I already, my views on death are, you know, and my mortality and everything else are fine. Um, it's, it's only comedy. And then I just thought like, well, I'm not the kind of person who does everything, anything the way everyone else does. And I'm totally the kind of person that would be the first to do this. And I'm sure I'm not, I'm just going to be the first that's honest about it. Cause there's actresses and stuff that I know were a decade older than me, but their Wikipedia says that they're three years older than me. Yeah. And I'm like, really Angelina? So, yeah. well, that's why I kept trying to find anyone. Yeah. And then, uh, was like, since when do I, uh, base anything I do on my life according to someone else doing it? Because then I'm also, uh, would love to be the first to do something, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. so you have, uh, you've remarried obviously. Mm-hmm. How old were you when you remarried? Uh, so my boyfriend right before I got clean. So I was 27, 28, 27. I turned 28, like two months later. 
Um, I left him here. He was still getting high and I got clean. And six months later he called me and was like, I'm getting clean. And I was like, well, I'm in Delaware. So he moved to Delaware. We got married when I was 30. So we're celebrating 10 years married this okay. year. So the same boyfriend that you were doing drugs with, mm-hmm. you're still together. I didn't realize yeah. that actually. Yeah. That's, um, he was not a great guy back then. <laughs> so I was, uh, highly skeptical when he said that he was going to, but same thing. He never tried to get his life together. So when he said he was, I was like, well, I'm in Delaware. So if you want to come here and prove it. And so we lived separately for, uh, a year or two and just, you know, we had a lot of work to do to put everything back together. And it's crazy. Cause I really didn't like him at all on drugs. Uh, the aliens told me I was going to marry him. <laughs> there was, I didn't enjoy his company at all. Hmm. So it's really funny when I left, I was like, well, the aliens must've been fake. Cause they were way off about that dude. And then, um, I've never, I've never seen a marriage like ours. Like we couldn't click like we don't fight cause we agree on 99.9. It's like we share the same and I've never been with anyone that just let me be me, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that could just take the intensity and the, you know, I was impulsive, very impulsive when I was younger and just all of it. He just, and when we first, he moved back out, I was like, okay, well, here's the thing. I'm going to start doing stand up again. And that means I got to travel around and share hotel rooms with dudes. And he was like, okay. And I was like, yeah, does it bother you? And he's like, I don't give a shit. So he's perfect, you know, because a, a guy with some insecurity, <clears throat> first husband, um, <laughs> wouldn't be able to handle that. Mm-hmm. So, so, so what does he do? He is now a sales manager at a car dealership. So he does really well. And I stay home with all the kids. Unless you're and homeschool them, and I do comedy, right? And my mom lives with, lives with us, so that the kids don't have to go to babysitters or anything else. It all works out very nice. Awesome. How many kids do you have with your second husband? So, uh, we have my daughter, but she's 22, so she's out on her own. We have custody of his son now, who is about to turn 15, and then together we have a seven-year-old and a three-year-old. So you got a little so tribe. Lots, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you kind of have a chance to, to sort of do it all again and, and in a very different way. Yeah. 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 No, it's great. And uh, we, got, we got Nicole back. We had to move out here at about three years clean to get um, them back, the, the, our pre existing children. <laughs> And uh, I don't think those are covered under uh, Trump's plans. No, uh -uh. I don't think anything is. (laughs) Um, My stepson, I homeschool him also. And uh, he had he had to write sentences with, uh, you know, lots of adjectives. And so one of his sentences was Trump is a horrible, awful president. (laughs) I was like, oh, (laughs) sweetie, you're learning. Education wins. (laughs) And do you homeschool because you want to teach your kids about the aliens? Uh, No, we're (laughs) going to keep that one on the down low until they get old enough to not repeat it to anybody. Um, So when my, I had a really hard time with school. And uh, when I turned, I failed every grade, but they just kept passing me. 
And when I turned 16, I had been dropped out of school already for like eight months. And they CPS was involved and they were like, you know, she has to do something. So they sent me to some program where I could just GED out at 16. So um, I studied for a couple of months and at 16, I just took the GED. And um, I was probably 21 before I realized I was intelligent. Mm-hmm. which is crazy because now looking back because the seven-year-old our seven-year-old was gifted and uh I was never as smart as her but I when I was learning about what happens to gifted kids in school I realized that um I was intelligent probably and bored early mm-hmm. in school and so um but my stepson, when we moved out here, when he was in kindergarten, he's just a hyper little kid, you know, and they were having all kinds of issues with him and the teacher kept calling him disturbing. And so I volunteered at the school to kind of look at it and they were making him sit at a separate table with a weighted pillow on his lap. What? And she let him pee his God. pants because, uh, well, he stops and looks in other classrooms. I'm like, he's six. Oh my God. Oh. So by the end of dealing with that I was like we're homeschooling our kids because mm-hmm. I'm not with all this and then Phoenix turned out to be gifted so there aren't a ton of options like she she does school online basically and then you know I add extra stuff and then she goes to a co-op once a week with other like secular homeschooled kids it was kind of something that I decided to do for a couple different reasons. Also with traveling and everything, my my oldest, we would take her out of school to go on trips and stuff and then they guilt trip you and everything else. And so my ultimate goal in comedy is to travel, uh, to make enough money doing stand-up that I can take them with me and kind of teach them on the road because I think traveling really rounds you out as a mm-hmm. person more than anything else. And here, so here. Um, they really frown on that when they're in school Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you're taking them out all the time. So lots of reasons. Aliens are on the bottom of the list. (laughs) That was more a comment about how a lot of homeschooled kids are Christian and learn crappy things. Yeah. Well, notice how I slid that secular thing in (laughs) there. So my old, like the number one uh, thing is I'm very careful to avoid that group of people. Yes. I have a friend who homeschooled her, her kid and it was some, like the only yeah. support she could find in Texas was like wackadoodle Christians. Yeah. That, I'm not, well, and they're, not all Christians are wackadoodle, yeah. but well, there's yeah. they're hiding their kids from kids like mine. <laughs> exactly. So they really don't want my daughter to show up and explain the anatomy to them. So <laughs> right. we all yeah. stay separate. I like it. But not really. Like the problem is probably that we do all stay separate. But anyway, I know it's survival. Uh, it's really a favor to them yeah absolutely (laughs) you're doing the christians a favor yeah you're trying to help yeah um it's i think a lot of kids that kind of had your kind of childhood where you're sort of raising yourself on some level you don't even have the mental freedom to think about things like what am i passionate about in life what do i really want but (laughs) yeah you said you wanted to be an actress as a kid were there Mm -hmm. other things that sort of you you just had this idea that you you know this this love for this or that uh no it was 100 percent convinced and i think that that was kind of i remember being made fun of in school and thinking you're gonna regret that one day when i'm 
like that was just like that was the place that I went back to to comfort myself mm-hmm. and like had no plan. I remember telling my parents like if you take me to L.A. like Alyssa Milano's parents, I will make you rich. You uh, probably would have. Yeah. <laughs> my dad at one point, uh, I went to live with uh, them when I was 12. My dad and my stepmom had stuff I'd gotten too out of control here. And uh, so my sisters there were like three and four and at this point my parents are in their 40s they are uh, my dad and stepmom are in their 40s they you know they've slowed down they've gotten their shit together and they're providing this life for my little sisters at which point they you they felt bad that it hadn't been provided for me so they try to make up for that and I can relate to that because I had to turn around and do that with my daughter but so I'm like then they're putting me in dance class and taking me to auditions and everything else. And I'm in dance class. I am have been this size since I was nine. So I'm in dance class with like four-year-olds because I never went to dance class when I was little. So I'm like in baby dance class trying to learn how to... What do you mean you've been this size? Super tall? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. just... like just, you're, you're, yeah. How tall are like, you? Um, I'm shrinking already. So I'm like 5'10 now. But yeah, I was like 5'9". Yeah. Just awkward. Yeah, yeah. Since we're doing a podcast. And yeah, oh, yeah. Video. Since we don't have... We're not... Yeah. <laughs> Um, and my dad takes me to, uh, an audition for a child's Christmas in Wales. And I had a song to sing and it was Madonna's, oh man, I forget what it's called, but it's about getting molested by your dad. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, you can't hurt me now. I got away from you. I never thought I would. And so like my dad had listened to me sing it. And I don't, I don't sing well. Um, he had listened to me sing it, but it didn't really register what it was. So he takes me to the audition and the lady starts playing the song. And this is for like a Christmas musical. <laughs> and I'm 13 or 14 and I'm just belting out, uh, you can't hurt me now. I got away from you. And the whole room, all the moms, you know, are turning around and looking at my dad. And my dad is like realizing the worst of the song. And he's like, no, 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 no. Little Miss Sunshine moment. Yeah. Oh. And I always choked in every audition. That's another thing I did. When I was 10, I tried out for, at Creston, tried out for the lead in the play about the Oregon Trail, the girl who got, or not the lead, the girl who got run over by the wagon wheel. And I choked in the audition, but then uh, killed it when I played the part because the girl got sick. I was the understudy. Mm -hmm. So, um I hated auditioning. I, I used to act as well, and I quit pretty much because of auditioning. Yeah, I have carried that into comedy. Uh, my worst um, stand-ups have been, like, comedy competitions mm-hmm. or, like, festivals where uh, the pressure's on. Right. So I've that's been a big thing in the last couple of years, kind of learning to navigate around that. But um, around that age when I was a teenager, like, my, my dad really tried to help me pursue that dream. Mm-hmm. But, um, too little, too late, daddy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Alyssa Milano has been in the business for years. (laughs) So, uh, what is your goal with, do you want to, do you still want to be famous? I mean, I know you're, you know, you have your own, um, your corner where you're probably famous. Like a lot, there's a lot of people who know who you are, but in terms of the big three cities, the big Hollywood, uh, famous, is that still a goal? What's weird is that it's changed. Um, when I got clean, I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. I wanted to catch up to everyone else in society. So I 
focused on that and I did just recovery comedy which paid pretty good and what explain what that is and I, and the 12 step programs they do like conventions mm-hmm. and so they hired comedians as like the entertainment for that so I would travel around and do conventions that was a lot of fun and then when I lived in Portland from 2008 to 2010 I had just contacted all kinds of local areas and did fundraisers for them that's what I'm in town doing tomorrow I still come and do those every once in a while. Um, and then we moved back to Delaware and I kind of, you know, then we started having kids and then I was just, you know, attachment parenting and stuff. So traveling wasn't going to work out. And then in 2012, I was pretty much not doing comedy at all. And I, I was just like, oh, I'm going to regret this. Like if I don't just give it everything for a couple of years, I'm going to regret it. So I told my husband, like, I just want to give it everything I have for a couple of years. And he got me pregnant on accident, like a, a month later. And so when I'm pregnant, I get morning sickness. I can't, I'm incapacitated. Then I have postpartum depression for a year afterwards and I'm not funny. I'm can't even form sentences. So that took me out for two years. And usually I'm the kind of person that's like, I've been certified as a holistic health practitioner or going to school for as a whole lot holistic health practitioner. I've been certified as a hypnotist. Like I'm someone who like starts things and never finishes. (laughs) And so, um, in 2014, when, when my youngest turned one, I was like, okay, I'm taking my two years now. So I got a lot of, you know, a lot of people believe that you have to live in LA or New York to make it. And I'm not willing to compromise my children's lifestyle to do that. So mm-hmm. they, we had, we live very nice where we're at, mm-hmm. but if we lived somewhere like LA or New York, we would struggle. I have done more shows and put more work in, in the last two years than um, ever. And I can't really talk about it yet, but my first, big opportunity is happening in a couple months. Awesome. Congrats. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And, um, it started to become a thing a month before my two years was up. That's awesome. So over the years, my, um, my comedy goal, which was really a fantasy because I wasn't really putting in the work was to, uh, get famous doing comedy so I could act. And then my relationship with stand up changed. And now it's like, oh, I had like enough TV credits to be able to travel doing stand-up because stand-up is really where my heart's at now, mm-hmm. which is strange. So that's, that's my primary focus right now. It's mm-hmm. not, uh, I'm very happy and content in my life with my family and everything else. And um, there's a little bit of fear in the back of my head that it would, I don't want to miss out on my children's childhood. It's just not that serious to me. Mm-hmm. So no, there's no desire to be famous. I think it would, uh, I'd oh, like, well, to, then you certainly will be. Yeah. Yeah. Now that I don't. Yeah. I mean, I used to just have dreams of the attention and everything. Now it's like, I do a show and it's like, so are the compliment dodging is so awkward that like, I just want to go hide. Not that I'm not super grateful for anyone that came out and laughed at me, but just, um, I don't have that void that I used to need filled with the attention, mm-hmm. but I, I love doing stand-up. The kind of stand-up that I do is like dark, candid, honest, making people laugh at things that they don't usually laugh at. Like, mm-hmm. and so, um, I've definitely have fallen in love with the art of it, and I would like to be known enough to be able to finance this childhood for my children, you know, while doing something that I love. But like, 
uh, being a movie star who can't take my kids out in public with everybody all in my face does not sound good yeah. at all. Which yeah, yeah. I thought that sounded amazing. <laughs> it sounds terrible to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it'd be great if people want to pay attention to how much I weigh, like they do to Amy Schumer. It's like, well, you're going to have fun because I lose and gain the same 30 pounds every 15 minutes. So. <laughs> Party I think on. she does too. So yeah. same problem, <laughs> yeah. right? And Lena, Lena Dunham, same thing. It's like, oh, I gained five pounds, and the media won't shut up about it, or I lost five pounds, whatever. Mm. Uh, where come do your from. morals come from? Oh, this one's interesting. I think by society standards, I probably don't have many, but um, I am extremely objective i think how i treat other people i can i can pretty much see where everyone's coming from even when i could perceive that someone is hurting me or whatever i understand that almost nothing is done out of malice most things are misunderstandings most people that seem like they're being rude are actually just being awkward and um so i think for me it's about um, being open-minded and about putting yourself in other people's shoes and not taking the easy path of only looking at your perception of things and teaching my kids that as well. My values probably are mostly around um, keeping control of your mind and your thoughts and you know, not indulging in self-pity or things like that. Like that's really what I, we press on with our kids, you know, but all the other stuff, we cuss in front of our kids. We're, you know, obviously I'm extremely open about sex and, and drugs and most stuff that people entangle their, uh, moral identity with. I don't, and I also am a, a big proponent of kind of the macrocosmic view of things, which is most of it's just experience. We're just here to experience things. And I wouldn't trade any of the, quote-unquote negative experiences from my life so what do you miss about uh the pre-internet years nothing really the internet was the greatest thing ever i'm so grateful to have well i'll tell you what i do feel bad for people that are compulsive liars now because i was a compulsive liar when i was young and i can't imagine people being able to fact check me readily <laughs> like I don't even know why people bother lying it's the best thing ever to me to have the information right there to be able to socialize at all times to be able to stay connected to people that I would have long lost uh, I don't all this stuff about everybody stressing about people staring at their phones and whatever like that's just the natural evolution of something it will eventually correct itself I think it's fantastic i think everything about it is amazing so i wouldn't be a good <laughs> no you are that's great because you no one's ever answered that way so it's awesome <laughs> how do you think the world will end uh this one i'm gonna take from the aliens so uh i believe that the we are just a big ball of thought consciousness and that we come here to experience just every possible scenario of life and that we were the dinosaurs and that we were 
we've been all of these things and we'll continue to be these things and that the earth is evolving along with us and that everything that we perceive to be negative is just part of the experience and that we, we kind of do a, an amnesia while we're here so that we can experience a dichotomy of good or bad. So, um, lately I've been playing with the idea, uh, you know, there are some uh, scientists saying that it's highly likely that we could be living in a computer simulation, which also really makes sense. But, um, whatever it is, whatever the end will be, we'll be right back doing something different, I believe. Well, that seems like a perfect place to end. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the world. <laughs> uh, Jessa Reed, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, if you go to jessareed.com, I have all of my social media things there. If you follow me on Facebook, that's where I do my best work. Okay. Thank you so much for being on the Thank show. Thank you for having me. You got it.